Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, good morning. Good morning. It's great to meet you. Yes, you too. How are you doing? Very well. Um, I literally have it set up because he dropped the key to me like 20 minutes ago. Oh, I And I've just spent 20 minutes trying to find my keys. Anyway, You're in. I'm in now, so I'm I haven't set, I haven't yeah. set up yet. <laughs> Can I get you a cup of tea? I'd love a cup of tea, yeah, that's great. Thank well, you. we'll go down the other side and then we'll, we'll go into the other studio. Brill. This is a really cool space. Welcome to a very special Extra Mess episode, a bonus episode, if you will. If this is your first time listening to Excuse the Mess, my name is Ben Corrigan. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. What normally would happen is that I'd speak to the guest and then in the afternoon make a track with them using just one instrument and electronic manipulations of it. But for this episode and a few more to come, I'm just going to be chatting to the guests, basically doing half of what a normal episode would be. So I'm really excited that Hannah Peel was up for joining me for for the first of these smaller episodes. Hannah is a composer, multi-instrumentalist, electronic musician and producer, a vocalist, a songwriter, an occasional BBC Radio 6 music presenter, and the night before we met up, she was on stage with Paul Weller and the London Met Orchestra, conducting her orchestrations for that show. So she got a lot on. I was very grateful that she was up for making time for me whilst she was doing a stint in London. You're going to hear plenty of Hannah's brilliant music throughout this episode. I really hope that you enjoy it and you spend some time discovering it properly for yourself rather than just these little snapshots of different moments. We only really talk about the last two albums that she's made. Most recently, Mary Cassio, Journey to Cassiopeia, which is a spectacular brass and synth-fueled space odyssey. The first track on the album is even called Goodbye Earth. Taking care of the brass side of this music is Tubular Brass, a 29-strong brass band from the north of England, and you'll discover Hannah's deep ties to this brass banding world because of her formative years growing up in Barnsley. Mary Cassio is a character that Hannah invented, a sort of musical alter ego, but this persona was actually invented whilst Hannah was making her previous album, Awake But Always Dreaming. Now I won't say too much about it, because that's what Hannah will be going into shortly, but I will say that that album was dealing with very personal things in Hannah's life, specifically her grandmother's Alzheimer's. Hannah speaks very eloquently and openly about it, and in many ways that's the point of the album, it's to encourage conversation and to shine a light on the subject. Before just getting on with it, I need to say a thank you to Noted Fellowship for their continued support of the project, and also to Isotope, the genius audio software developers. Now there's no real starting point to this episode, such a pro, 
we're going to jump right into a gig anecdote about an unimpressed looking crowd. So you were saying, we were talking about gigs and stuff, and you were going to talk about an Orkney gig. So I was... I still am, we just uh, kind of come together every so often, this band called The Magnetic North, mm. or a collective, should I say. We did an album based on the islands of Orkney called Symphony of the Magnetic North. And as part of that, we went up to Orkney and performed in St Magnus Cathedral, the only cathedral on the islands, yeah. on the mainland. And it was part of a classical festival, St Magnus Festival. It was, like, sold out. We had a choir from an right. island, so yeah. they all came on a boat, oh, cool. especially to <laughs> to do the gig. Yeah. We had lo- local string players, brass people. So it was a massive kind of show. Yeah. And a lot of the audience were a lot older. It's quite loud and dramatic music as yeah. well as, you know, very tiny. And so that it's very diverse. And on the front row and a few rows behind, there was quite a few older people, like, with their fingers in their ears. Yes, good. And then all, like, falling asleep. (laughs) One of the guys that Erlen spotted was one of his ex-teachers, and he had his fingers in his ears and looked like he was hating it throughout the whole gig, like he was frowning. So we just, like, thought, this is, like, the worst show we've ever done. Everybody here hates it. And then the next day, like, he was walking down the street and his teacher saw him and said, that was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I had to turn down my hearing aid because it was so loud, but I loved it. It was like I could feel it in my soul. (laughs) Oh, that's wicked. So, you know, it's not, like, about one person liking a show. It's all about what the atmosphere is that you create and what you're trying to say or... And sometimes people look a bit kind of disjointed or look a bit like disinterested I think yeah well, I mean I'd hate to see that guy's face when he wasn't enjoying something mm. if he looked quite grumpy when he was just <laughs> having the best time here's a lovely calming magnetic north track called Stromness people at your gigs have a sense of wonder on their faces <laughs> which is sort of what I get from the music you know it really takes you somewhere cosmic I'm obviously talking about Mary Cassio yeah. a journey to Cassiopeia it's one of my favorite albums oh very sincerely thank you. say that yeah I absolutely <laughs> love it yeah I mean you just sort of made this thing which is um it doesn't need like a program note you just turn it on and, and you just go put there. your headphones on as well great headphone listen and it just transports you a bit. So, I mean, it'd be great to hear the journey of Mary Cassio. Where's that all kind of coming from? Well, the very, very root of it came from the record previous to that in 2016 was Awake But Always Dreaming. And, you know, that was a very personal record because it was kind of marking the process of how I felt about uh, living with my grandmother's dementia as she was living with it. So, you know, her hallucinations, the worlds that she was kind of delving into, the past, believing she was in, you know, the 1950s um, on a daily basis or situations that really upset her at the time when she was like 21. She was reliving those things as if she was there. And 
for a musician and a composer and she was a singer, I didn't know how to handle any of that. So there was a lot of kind of me discovering the, the impact of music and what that can do and connect you again when you think you've lost someone. But the other side of the album was the research side so that I could feel like I could talk about dementia mm. and Alzheimer's fully and understand the statistics and and what happens and that it is a disease, it's not just getting old. Um, and how can we bring more, I suppose, marketing and promotion to it to make people realise that actually this needs more funding. It's like, you know, 20 years behind cancer. Yeah. And it's the biggest killer in the whole of the world. Yeah. Like one in three of us will be affected by it. And that's that's scary if you think of all the memories and things you build and you make as your personality. So, but going back to kind of where the Mary Cassio started was I went to see, um, and she's become a friend, a lady who's a researcher for Alzheimer's Research UK. And she's based at UCL and she's won quite a lot of like awards in her research. And she basically grows brain neurons in Petri dishes so that they can then analyse them in the lab and see what's happening as they grow and if they can find a cure, basically. And she said, come to the lab, I'll show you the Petri dishes. And so I went and found out loads more. And when I saw the neurons, it just looked with, you know, like with the microscope being round, it just looked like you were looking at the moon or you were looking at Mm. the universe and there was all these little specks and that was the start. It was so insane that I just was like, oh, my God, this is the moon or this is this yeah. is the star constellations. It just kind of put in my head this idea of, of us being part of the universe and part of the world, which is something we are and we forget about because we get so self-consumed with what is happening right now in the moment or politics. For ages, I was just trying to kind of think of... When I had started writing Mary Cassio... I had this image in my head, but I was trying to think of a way that I could communicate that. And so I started reading about things like string theory and researching physicists. And, you know, like I'd, I'd seen this thing online about like how string theory, people think that it's God talking to them and like the airwaves. And we'd performed Mary Cassio by this point, but it wasn't released or anything. It was just for a commission. Yeah. And... Um, this is a long-winded way of telling uh, you this story. This is all great. It's gold. Um, but something happened live that none of us expected. And looking back now, I can analyse it because I know of the sound. But in the room at that time was something so powerful with the sound that was happening in the air mm. that everybody started to cry. Like, it was just one of those moments yeah. of, like, there is something moving through the air and you could feel it. Yeah. And... You know, now I know it is the like kind of the sub of the synths, the sound effects that are kind of swirling through the room, the like the breath of like 30 brass players as they breathe in and out, and then like the kind of the synths that are like, you know, the top end higher frequencies. Here's Goodbye Earth, the opening track from Journey to Cassiopeia.
So the brass is basically taking care of all that middle, melancholy, yeah. gut-wrenching stuff. And then the synths are taking care of like the bigger, grander ideas of the world and the universe. So it, it makes you feel tiny. And, the, and brass they blend so well it's just so beautifully put together and they have like this grey area between them I haven't quite heard <laughs> anything like it yeah you wouldn't know and I think that was really important was personally when like producing as a recording you know if you listen to traditional brass band records it's very reverb reverberated sorry it's like it's missing a lot of that low end and I grew up um, when we moved to Yorkshire, I played the trombone, so I kind of played in brass bands, but I was always in the lower section of the brass band, so I felt that kind of power that on recordings was always missing mm. from them because it's always focused on the cornets and the higher-end melodies and stuff. And so it was really important when we were recording that and making, and especially when I was scoring the music, that it, a lot of focus came from the lower end and also that... There was a, there wasn't. Sometimes you don't know if there's a distinction between what the brass is and exactly, the, yeah. And that was really important. You know, some of the effects went on to went on to the brass, but also, I think when orchestrating it, it was all written electronically. There was no brass intended in the very beginning. Oh, okay. It was just all synths. Yeah. And so actually, my job in the very beginning was hard because I had to give away synths that I really sure. loved to like somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But actually that blend then meant that it did work in a way. So we kept on the recording, you know, I didn't edit out all the spits or the breaths mm -hmm. or the foot squeaks. Yeah. So it does feel like you are in the room. And yeah. the same with the synths, they have like a breathing sound because some of them are broken. It just makes it feel like it's an alive, organic thing. Andromeda M31.
I had a, like a very focused listen. You know when you just want to have no distractions. So I actually just lay on the bed and put the headphones on, like put my phone the other side of the room. And um, yeah, the very first track I noticed for the first time towards the end, there is loads of the breath things from the players. And it's sort of like in surround sound. I thought it was a really beautiful thing to leave in. Really human. Yeah, human. I think that's the point of it. I think it came at a time when the referendum was happening. I had a lot of anger about the whole thing and, you know, especially because I'd set this kind of character from in Yorkshire, in Barnsley, and there was always these TV shots of people going and interviewing people in Barnsley and, yeah. and just coming across as the most backward place because it was always the guy on the corner that has probably never left Barnsley that was complaining about immigrants. And you're like, mm -hmm. yeah. you haven't a clue. So I suppose it, for me, it was quite ironic and felt like a little bit of a kind of a comedy yeah, yeah. to take a brass band <laughs> into space from Yorkshire, like saying, so do you. We're all connected and we're all in the same world together. Yeah. Is the brass band community aware of Journey to Cassiopeia? Yeah, definitely. I, I imagine there's, like with any sort of thing with deep traditions, there's going to be some real purists that don't like things, but have you managed to break through that? Because of the level of the players in Tubla Brass, I mean they're from, it's a mix of all the kind of championship sections that you will have heard of, like Black Dyke or Grimethorpe Collier Band and Fairies, and so there is a, an expectation of that level and people that have brass fanatics. For me I didn't really think about that, I was thinking sure. more about the electronic side of the world and introducing them to to something else. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways a lot of people were really surprised. I know the brass band members themselves were really shocked when they heard the recording and really? blown away because in, when we've done it live and when they'd heard it, they were just playing, if you think about it in terms of technicality, they're, they're not playing anything really that technical. It's mm. more reliance on their breath and tone yeah, rather yeah. than playing a passage that's really fast or like, you know, I gave them a lot of repetitive rhythms. Yeah. A lot of the cornets that would be used a lot were underused. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there was a general feeling among everybody in that world when I first came with the scores and everything of like, oh dear. Big sigh. Yeah, what is this? <laughs> and <laughs> and that was quite hard because like... Yeah. A young lady <laughs> coming into a room that is 90% male mm -hmm. that are used to playing in one way and that is it. Yeah, yeah. And so that was difficult until we did the first show. Um, and also then they heard the recordings and be because when they're doing it live, the speakers are coming out front, they don't have monitors. So they're not getting that uh -huh. experience of what yeah. you're hearing as an audience member. So it wasn't until the recording came out that they all really started to change towards me and sure, accept yeah. me more. Must be nice, you won them over. <laughs> but um, I think there definitely was that element of like, what is this? It's mm. just some young young book coming. <laughs> but um, I'm glad. And, and I, you know, from playing in brass bands, I knew exactly what sound I wanted. And mm. I think that comes with, you know, like your, your, your creative DNA, like drawing out the things that you know and you are ingrained in you. Life is on the horizon.
I was um, reading a book at the time called Seven Lessons in Physics by Carlo Rivelli, the Italian physicist. And in there, there was some beautiful quotes of like his experiences of physics and and space and cosmology and one of the lines was like we have a hundred billion neurons in our brains as many as there are stars in the galaxy and when I read that that was like that's it that's the quote that's the thing I need to connect the last album with the new one and why I've done it. You do sound very inspired by science and well researched in your music like could you have been a, a scientist do you think? Do you know when I was tiny, I always wanted to be like a detective, and I okay. had like these like detective magazines, yeah, and spy really. magazines. <laughs> and I, I do, as I get older, I do see the parallels between that kind of investigative mm. nature, be it in music or be it in science or or in the law, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's an element of like constantly exploring, finding more out about yourself and finding out more about the world as you go and and I feel happier with the the music that I create as the older I get because I feel like I'm delving into it and having more courage and confidence than I, I did when I was in my 20s. There's something really cosmic about that brass sound that you've really utilised. I've wondered if you've maybe managed to pinpoint what it might be about brass instruments. Is it like just cultural, or is there something like more like physics-based about brass instruments that sounds so like interstellar? Oh yeah, it's well. I think there's two answers. There's definitely the cultural side and our association as as a as Britain and especially our kind of recognition of that sound it's a self-released album I don't know how it it would be received if it was released in say Australia or somewhere but definitely here there's that melancholy that look at the past especially the you know the strikes of the miners that sound that you can only get in very specific parts of Britain and it is a a disintegrating culture like it's really fading but also I think like physics wise and the, like the the sound palette wise is there's something about the um the hugeness of these huge instruments and and for me it was more like if you think about like a brass instrument it feels like an alien yeah. because it's a voice coming through a metal yeah. instrument and being manipulated and it is an alien voice at the end of it it's it's not like it felt like that's what maybe would speak to a lot of people and make it cosmic and also you know that grandness and stuff that you can't when you look in space and you look from earth you you just can't comprehend that that is what is happening that Mm. we are just a speck and not even a speck we are smaller than a speck millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Throughout the whole album, you just have these very vivid pictures painted for you. I mean, that's why I say that it's, it's a, an album that doesn't need a programme note because it's just so evocative of, you know, space. And <laughs> Did you have pictures in your mind? Yeah, I think so. Gradually it came together that there was a story and a thread. Yeah. And um, I did write an extra track called Cassiopeia and it was like an excess she actually got there mm-hmm. but then when I'd kind of written the planet of past souls as it is um I couldn't get any further like I think the, that the, the sound of my grandfather singing mm. at the end could you elaborate on that because so, it's a really beautiful thing so he's singing a classical piece and it's from 1927 when he was 13 and he was like one of the first choir boys to ever be recorded. It was recorded in Manchester Cathedral. And then it was put out on Columbia Records, but they'd wanted to re-record him to make a better recording. And they went back and his voice had broken. <laughs> so they used that original recording. And I remember it being played at his funeral. This is, you know, maybe 15 years ago and found it on YouTube. And it, I, I suppose as a, a kind of nod back to that, the Mary Cassio character and is the fact that I kind of had her in my head as quite an old lady and that had always had a dream of going somewhere but had never been and then was finally going to go or does she make it and it kind of posed this kind of question of like these sounds from your past like kind of being drawn out into a planet's atmosphere as if like you know like this alien landscape and then things that you have not quite got a hold of anymore are just taken and blown into the wind and it, it just felt like that was the end mm. like I couldn't go any yeah. further and, and that then posed the question of what, well did she actually go was this all like part of her imagination or yeah. is, is this her passing into another life is this what happens when you get to the end of your life things just kind of get drawn out and float away and, and 
yeah, that energy then passes on. I'd like to listen to that album at the end of my life. Great. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> I'm hoping that you might stick around to the end of the episode where I'll be playing you that extract of her grandfather's singing and how she's incorporated it into the sound world of the album. This track is Sunrise Through the Dusty Nebula. So yeah, there was a kind of a journey in my head of like, I'm going to have some fun and I'm going to, because it had, I'd not done a full instrumental album before. Mm. I'd done instrumental tracks on records, but not a full album. So there was an element of being and becoming Mary Cassio so that I could just let go. Yeah. And I think that was a really useful tool for writing and I'd love to kind of revisit her again and see where she might have gone before she left Planet Earth. Yeah. It's great the character allowing you to write more freely. Do you, do you feel constrained by Hannah Peel? I, I really did. I don't now. When the Awake But Always Dreaming came out, I, I sat with my manager and I said, I don't want to do it as Hannah Peel. I don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't want the pressure of it anymore. <laughs> Maybe I should just come up with a different name and then I can be under that name and yeah. have Hannah separate. Yeah. And he was just like, please, just this one album, just do it sure. as Hannah. And I was yeah. like, okay. So, you know, I think Mary fulfilled that side of, like, wanting to do something different. And it also taught me a lesson in terms of writing and taking yourself out of it and taking yeah, your... Yeah. I do find lyric writing really difficult mm. in terms of trying to express what I want to say. Mm. And I really found that writing Mary Cassio, that because I didn't have the pressure of writing lyrics... Yeah. I could just express more, and I think that comes across. So, Totally what I experienced, yes, because the, the message that I'm receiving is just as powerful if there were lyrics throughout. For instrumental music, that's a hard thing to do, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks, Ben. That's why it's a fave. It's on all the time. <laughs> as Isotope are a supporter of this podcast, I'm just going to have a little brief interlude here to demonstrate one of the tools as part of RX Audio Editor, and that's the Spectral Denoise tool. I'm mixing some jazz music at the moment. It's a live gig and one of the microphones was really buzzy throughout. So I'm using RX to clean it up. Here's the original buzzy sounding piano. And this is the cleaned up version. Much better. Thanks, Isotope. We're going to step a few years back now and talk about Hannah's second last album, Awake But Always Dreaming. We touched upon this earlier in the episode when we talked about where Mary Cassio came from. We don't really talk about anything technical musically, it's more about Hannah's experience of her grandmother's Alzheimer's. Running wild 
A lot of people are affected. There, there is a lot of albums out there already that are about losing memory or losing someone through dementia or Alzheimer's, and and I didn't really want to be kind of moping about because a lot of the time spent with my grandmother was, you know, very upsetting, like deeply upsetting, but also really fun and yeah. hopeful and, you know, like, you know, on the on the com comedy side of things, she would say to, like, my dad and my brother, like, if they arrived, she would be like, oh, are you my lover? <laughs> <laughs> and we used to laugh and, you know, like, have a joke about it, and yeah. my dad would be like, no, I'm your son. <laughs> But you know, you step away from that, and it's 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 heartbreaking. Uh -huh, yeah. But yeah, so the album was more about that kind mm. of that that hopeful pat on the back and saying, you know, if we start to think about this and talk about this, and and you know, over the last two years, I think anyone would agree that the amount of press, online media, social aspect of us talking about stuff rather than hiding it, because mm -hmm, I think it yeah. was a real taboo thing of like people were so upset by these things they didn't want to talk about it. Mm. Also there was that kind of fear that it wasn't a disease, it was like, you know, something that happens when you're old. Yeah. So you just accept it as yeah. someone growing old. That track was Don't Take It Out On Me. For me, it was really important that, you know, it was my grandmother. I wasn't, it was my mum or dad, which a lot of older, you know, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you're talking about your mum or dad. Mm, yeah. It was my grandmother and I didn't have a way to connect with her and I didn't mm. know how to do it. And I think when I found out the, like, the kind of intricacy of, of what music could do, like the, the almost unbelievable effects it has on people, like where they just don't know where they are, what they're doing, but or who you are, and then all of a sudden they're singing lyrics and songs mm -hmm. and they remember yeah. it perfectly, word for yeah. word. Yeah. You're like, how is that possible? Yeah. So there was an element of me like discovering why that is, and you can read a lot about it and the neurology behind it, but there was also an element of me wanting to tell people our age and younger that you can connect with your grandparents mm -hmm. and feel like they're still alive and with you yeah. by playing their favourite tracks, putting yeah. a playlist together for them, like, you know, li letting them listen to stuff and yeah. talking about it and having a dance. I, I think, you know, gradually there will be more people that if they're in a care home, there is a little bit more incentive to giving people that are living in, in nursing homes something to live for rather yeah, than... Yeah 
kind of just like you know I, I think one of the things that upset me the most was going to see my grandmother and it being just a tv and every time yeah. was a tv and it, they were all sat in a room together it's a waiting room more or less just yeah waiting and it it was just so depressing and so you don't want to go and be part of that because yeah. you don't know how to change it you don't know how to physically get out of your yourself yeah. and stop thinking about how embarrassing you might feel mm-hmm. or if you start singing but yeah i think that was one of the the things that we did was just one christmas we started singing christmas carols and that's when we discovered that mm. my grandmother knew all the songs yeah. and then everybody else in the room knew the songs and it was a yeah. really beautiful moment yeah so. that's really touching the album's title track, Awake But Always Dreaming. There's so many things that you do, like I was saying, you wear so many hats and um, theatre work is another one. So yeah, you wrote the score for Brighton Rock. Mm-hmm. How is that for you as a composer? Oh, I loved it. It was two months living in York, more or less, writing and then rehearsing and getting the show up with live musicians yeah. and letting it then go on, taking it on tour and letting it, it breathe its own way sure. through. The creative team were just very open-minded you know, it was not kind of stuck in a certain era. I was not told, you know, you have to do it in this style or anything. So I was given free reign yeah. to how I interpreted the main character, the protagonist of Pinky, this like teenage boy who was very disturbed yeah. on the path to being a complete psychopath. For me, it was really important to kind of take those feelings out of his brain and to kind of transform them into the music. Cool. It was a dark, pulsing synths, the live drums, the like the effects. We I recorded a choir and sampled every note of them singing in New York. Yeah. So then could play that live on stage. Right. And it was it was really like magical in that sense. Yeah. So um Yeah, were you yeah. devising at the same time as things were being worked out? Yeah. So I had a lot of like I'd more or less written like kind of like I don't know, let's say fifteen pieces of music before we started rehearsals. And then when we went into rehearsals as the actors were kind of devising everything through with the script, um, myself and this wonderful drummer called James Field, who is also a genius at like Ableton and computers mm-hmm. and MIDI triggers and everything, worked up some tunes to kind of underscore some of the scenes Uh more directly. So we had, like, you know, a lot of stems to choose from and took that as the basis for stuff. So, yeah, it was devised more or less half in the studio, half in the the rehearsal room. I imagine it being quite stressful. Fun, but stressful. I don't know. know. I think it's... Was it not? I don't know. I'm really used to it. I think as a session musician, you're thrown things straight away, play this. And, yeah, and you, you have to, to like come up with that sound and play it straight away. And yeah. I think that for me in the theatre, it was just more enjoyable. If, if I'd have not gone there with loads of kind of prep, 
I would have struggled, sure. but yeah. the fact that I knew what sounds and what synths and what to use was like quite a nice okay. way of like going, oh, I'll just pick that. Yeah. Here's my wardrobe for today. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way of looking at it. That's a really good analogy for being an electronic musician <laughs> in a, a situation that needs to be malleable because you do have to prepare things, don't you? You need to know what's in your wardrobe. I love that. <laughs> As there's no official recording of Hannah's score for Brighton Rock, this track is Octavia and it can be heard on both the Awake But Always Dreaming album and the trailer for Brighton Rock. So it's as close as we're going to get to hearing anything from that score. You've been nominated. Oh yeah, Northern Ireland Music Prize, right? Yeah, that's in a few weeks. It's, it's soon, yeah. Um, this might go out afterwards, so either congratulations or oh. commiserations. But um, <laughs> either way, we're all winners. <laughs> all winners, exactly. But I checked out who you're up against, and it's quite a voice-led. Um, very different. You really do stand yeah. out from that bunch. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm not expecting to walk away with a trophy, but. <laughs> Um, you know, I was nominated last year for a very song-led album and that didn't cut through. It was, the result was a very traditional Irishy singer-songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that might be the same case for this year. Like if you're a bit of a curveball at this time. Yeah, who knows? But I, I don't know. I think I, I do feel like Northern Ireland has an amazing music scene and since mm. kind of being there a lot more this year, I've... I've met a lot more of those people and a lot more of of what is going on and that I think in the next few years we're going to see like a real kind of bulge of music coming from there that is mm. a lot more experimental. And, oh, wicked. And I just think that it's on the verge of that, whereas, you know, maybe before because of the music industry it's been kind of held back by only producing people that can do singer-songwriters and have sure. albums. I yeah. think it's... I think people are starting to experiment a bit more and it's good. That's cool. So let's do some housekeeping. Any plugs? Ooh, there will be an album next year. Yes, great. But I, I'm not allowed yet to say, depending on when your podcast goes out, 
I don't know if I'm allowed That's, to announce it or not. But it's okay. very special and it's it was made in a very, very short period of time. Oh. So rather than like scoring something for months and months and months, yeah. it was done within like 12 hours. Oh, wow. Um, so it's a really exciting album to be part of. Yeah. So oh, that's wait. coming out next year. I'm excited to hear that. Yeah. These podcasts normally have like the music making part. Would you ever do a full episode? Yeah. The full shebang? Well, for this next record, when you find out about what it's about, yeah. we'll, we'll do that. Yes. Okay, I'm excited. I, I think the people that are involved will be really up for that as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for checking out this extra episode, the first one of these, and thanks to Hannah for being the first guest involved in them. I'm sure you've all enjoyed listening to extracts of her music. I think it's totally brilliant, forward-thinking modern music with a lot of heart. If you were unaware of Hannah's music before, then I hope you're somewhat of a fan now and will continue to listen. As Hannah is so well-read about the subjects that inform her music, I wrote to her and asked for a couple of links to put in the description of this podcast so that you can read more about some of the topics that have been talked about in this episode. Being the modern musician that she is, she has all of her social medias in order, and can you believe it, she even has a website. That's hannahpeel.com, and you can find her on Twitter, hanpeel, with one N. Both Facebook and Instagram are hannahpeelmusic. If this is your first time listening to Excuse the Mess, there's an entire series one available. Hours and hours of stuff there that you can go back and enjoy. These extra episodes are here to keep us entertained between series one and two. Well, keep me entertained anyways. If you want to know more, if you want to sign up to the mailing list, you can go to etmpodcast.com, etmpod on Twitter and etmpodcast on Instagram. And do give us a subscribe on your podcast apps so you can see any new episodes coming in. Thank you to you for being here, checking out this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as promised earlier in the episode, here's that recording of Hannah's grandfather placed into the world of Mary Cassio. See you soon.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.